0: Information, please. Presented each week at this time by Canada Dry, famous the world over for its fine beverages. (coughs) Wake up, America. Time to stump the experts and treat yourself to a glass of cool, refreshing Canada Dry ginger ale. Every week at this time, Canada Dry presents Information, please. We supply four animated information bureaus. You supply the questions. They think up the answers together with anything else they may feel like saying. Here's how it's done. You may submit from 1 to 3 original questions. For every question our quartet fails to answer, the sender gets $10 with the compliments of Canada Dry. For every question we use, whether or not it's answered correctly, the sender gets $5. So you can make $15 if our experts miss out, which they occasionally do. Our editorial staff may reword your question a trifle. Don't worry about it. Whenever there is a duplication of questions, information please uses the one that was submitted first. All questions become the property of Information Please and should be addressed to Canada Dry, One Pershing Square, New York City. And now may I present our Master of Ceremonies, Mr. Clifton Fadiman, literary critic of the New Yorker magazine. Mr. Fadiman.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Information Please doesn't run on tracks. It isn't rehearsed because it's more fun playing the game without any preparation. The rules are very simple. The experts raise their hands when they think they know the answer. And every time an expert misses, Canada Dry cheerfully pays out $10 to the sender, plus $5 for the use of the question itself. Tonight we have on the job our three veterans, that omniscient triple combination, John Kieran, expert on sports and what have you, Franklin P. Adams, New York Post columnist, whose cunning Tower initials, FPA, are known throughout the land, and Oscar Levant the quick-change artist who can shift mental gears from music to history to baseball without grinding. Our very distinguished guest this evening is eminent as teacher, scholar, biographer, and more particularly as the ex-governor of the state of Connecticut, Wilbur L. Cross. Now, gentlemen, you all know each other. Let's see what else you know. The uh, first question, <coughs> coming from Washington, D.C., brought up by Mrs. W. F. Crosby. Has to do with the heart interest of certain famous ladies. The following gentlemen are mentioned in history because they were once the heart interest of certain famous ladies. I'm going to ask you to name the ladies. The first gentleman is James Hepburn, Earl of Bothwell. He was the heart interest of what very famous lady, Mr. Levant?
2: As long as you said Bothwell, it's, uh, he was a Mary Queen of Scotland. Yes,
1: uh, uh, at what uh, point in her life did he come around? Which uh, which of her husbands? Was he was he? number two. No, I think he was number three. Well,
2: well Rizzio wasn't
1: her husband. Beg pardon? What do you mean? It was Darnley.
2: Darnley, and then then uh... wasn't her husband? Not, well, Darnley was, but not Rizzio. Well, he, he
1: would be the, he would be the second. He would be the second of her spouses. That's right. Uh, he's left fielder on the Pirates. <laughs> and that's a double play for you, Mr. Levan. Very well. Uh, Grigory Alexandrovitch Potemkin would be the heart interest of whom? Uh, Mr. Kieran. Catherine the Great. Catherine the Great. He, of course, is only part of her heart interest. That's right. Matter of fact, that's why they call her Catherine the Great Heart. Mr. Levin. i very curious
2: about him. She didn't kill him, you know. Really? No, no, no. How did
1: you get the information? They're talking to Winchell again.
2: No, no. <laughs> I uh, got it in a Russian tea room. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: he was one of the lovers that survived the enthusiasm of Catherine the Great. That's quite true. Uh, Count Axel Fersen. Count Axel Fersen. Mr. Levant, you're pretty good on this. Well, this is an
2: MGM night again. (laughs) Just up your alley. Well, that was in Marie Antoinette. He was a Swede. Uh, Yes, uh, a Swede, and a lover uh, of Marie Antoinette. They had cake together.
1: Now I'll see if I can catch you on the fourth and last. Francis Charles Augustus Albert Emmanuel of Saxe-Coburg. Probably the only man in all history who could have had a set of male quintuplets named after, his, after him without any repetition of What's the name, name? again? <laughs> what did you say, Mr. Adams?
2: Say that. Will you say I'll just say
1: again? Joe to you. Uh, Francis Charles Augustus Albert Emmanuel of Saxe coburg uh, Mr. Adams. Queen Victoria. Yes, he was the husband of Queen Victoria. That's quite right. Her, her consort. <laughs> four out of four on heart interest. What can we do with the next one from Ann Potter of Larchmont, New York? Miss or Mrs. Potter is apparently a sport enthusiast. In what sports are the lineups of men or apparatus arranged in the following numerical formations at the beginning? For example, if uh, information, please, were a, uh, a sport, uh, the lineup would be one, which is myself, uh, against four. Four, one, four, Now, suppose I say two, one, two. The team would be arranged two, one, two. In what uh, game? Mr. Levant. Wait a minute. Uh two, one, two. Two guards, two forwards in the center. You've got it.
2: what's the uh They're basketball. Basketball. But not girls.
1: Uh what would it be if it were girls?
2: Two, two, two. Are there other six? Well, I haven't seen a girls' basketball game in a well, long
1: maybe time. Maybe you see double when you look at it. Five girls. Or six. Uh, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. The line up. One, two, three, four. Uh Mr. Kerr. Oh, uh, as numbered that way, that's a polo team. Yes? Or bowling? Would bowling also be uh, arranged in that way? One, two, three, four. Well, it would be doubles, wouldn't it? Well, like don't know one what this bowling, uh, you what have one team bowling? What just
3: one team I mean? You, you can have up. a team of four in bowling. Yes. Bowling or or polo? You think? Two, three, two,
1: one, three, two, one, three, uh, two, one. Mr. LeBan. I'm going to guess. Is that hockey? It's hockey on my card, Mr. Because King, of the right? six, ice hockey. It's ice hockey. I figured it out. Six. Yeah. Must be yeah. hockey. And uh, the next and last. Remember, I said lineups of men or apparatus. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Mr. Adams, I'm surprised that you're not getting this.
2: That makes fifteen. I know
1: something of your sedentary habits, Mr. Adams. Uh, Mr. Adams. Well, it might be in poker, but it might be one, two, three, four, five, six, or one, two, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I hope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it isn't poker. There's another game you play, Mr. Adams. Equally badly. And uh, where the only possible combination of men or apparatus, remember, is one, two, three, four, five.
2: What's apparatus? I don't know
1: what you that know what is. is. No apparatus no, is paraphernalia. Paraphernalia, oh. Mr. Grant. That make everything clear? No. Uh, Mr. Cross, I hope you don't know the answer. Yeah. I shouldn't like the ex-governor of Connecticut to know the proper answer to that is pool. Pool. Ah. Oh. The uh, it refers, oh. of course, to the setup of the fifteen balls in a triangle before the break. Mr. Adams, you play pool, don't you?
2: One, two, three, four, five, no. It no. wouldn't be that at all.
1: Why not? <laughs> Figure it out. Fifteen <laughs> balls. Yes, one plus does. two <laughs> plus <laughs> three plus... Oh, you play what sort of pool do you play, Mr. Uh-huh. Adams? <clears throat>
2: 15, Fifteen
1: balls. Fifteen balls.
2: What about the cue ball?
1: I'll excuse you for a yes, few, you few minutes, mean, Mr. Adam,
2: one plus did... two plus three plus four plus five. What does it make?
1: Fifteen. All right, that's what I said. Who's winning? You or me? <laughs> you huh? win.
2: All right. <laughs> well,
1: we were to get three out of four I'll on that, and we did. The next question, from Felix Spur of Brooklyn, New York, asks you to identify the famous stories from uh, the following hints that I'm going to give you. I'm going to tell you a little about each story, and you're going to give me the name of the story, and I hope the author of it. A lady pickpocket is transported to Virginia with her husband, who's a highwayman. I suppose she became one of the worst families of Virginia, apparently. Uh A lady pickpocket is transported to Virginia with her husband, a highwayman. But a famous story has that as one of its incidents. What period was that? Uh, It's an excellent period, one of the best periods. I'm delighted to catch the look of bewilderment on the face of Mr. Wilbur L. Cross, who is probably America's greatest authority on the 18th century. The book I'm referring to is Maul Flanders by Daniel Defoe. Uh, Mr. Cross, I have an idea. You wrote a biography of Daniel yeah, before well, one of time. of course, yes. <laughs> 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 just never she, occurred to you.
2: She got over that.
1: Well, that's what happened. Yeah, the trouble is, Mr. Cross right.
2: knows too much about the book She got over there all right, rather late in life. But the incident... And, was... Yes, she got over that reform and reformed yes. and lived a virtuous life during the last few years of yeah. her age. You make it sound so sad, Mr.
1: Cross. <laughs> well, I knew if I gave you a start, yeah. Mr. Cross, you could tell us the whole mm-hmm. story. The answer is Marf Flanders by Daniel Defoe, the one who wrote Robinson Crusoe. Now, uh, suppose I say this to you. The hero of this story knows more about his own birth than most men do, but he isn't christened until volume four. He knows more about his own birth than most men do, but he isn't christened until volume four. Oh, that's... uh, Uh, Mr. Cross.
2: uh, Tristram Shandy, you
1: mean. Tristram Shandy, not the slightest doubt of it. And the author of Tristram Shandy, Mr. Cross... Lawrence Stern. Yes, I'm sure I could get that out of you. Awfully nice man. (laughs) We don't usually allow commercial plugs on this program.
2: Uh, Mr. Adams? That's where the governor
1: gets his nickname. What is the governor's nickname?
2: Uncle Toby. Oh, really? Are you known as Uncle Toby, Mr. Cross? Well, I have been known as one of the nicknames. There are half a dozen. (laughs) Better known as Sugar. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Adams? I see it is thought that I resemble Uncle Toby in that Uncle Toby would not injure a fly. When a fly is buzzing around his nose, he catches it and goes to the window with it, lets it out and says, Go. Poor <laughs> <some> fellow. <of them. laughs> it's wide enough. And you think for that, parallels, and me.
1: that parallels something in your own character? Yes, that's Mr. I, that's
2: the kind of That panel. must have been I awfully
1: nice for the I state of Connecticut to, when you were governor. I have, I have no get up to me,
2: whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, here's the third hint, literary hint. In this story, the heroine is described in detail,
2: and she's loved by the hero, yeah.
1: but she doesn't exist. She is a figment.
2: She doesn't uh, exist. That, oh, yes, Mr. Cross. That is. Uh, in Dickens, uh... mm.
1: you are going through. Uh, uh, That's all right, Miss Gross. You're doing, doing very well. You have the wrong answer that I like to novel- see you struggling with. One it. of
2: the novels. <laughs> 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 They're all waiting. I beg pardon, Miss cross? Yes. But it's Mrs. Harris. She doesn't exist. She doesn't exist, but no. I don't think that she's loved by the hero. No. Uh,
1: she is described in detail. That's true. Uh, Mr. Adams. Marjorie Daw. Marjorie Daw is right. Oh, that's
3: another.
1: Yes, that's another.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: by Thomas Bailey old Yes, watch out for Mr. Adams. He's a dead what? shot at this sort of thing. I
2: don't know who loved him. Well, I'll tell
1: you. Peter Fleming is ill, and a friend, Edward Delaney, you needn't remember these names, mm-hmm. conceives the idea of sort of helping him out during his illness by writing to him as, as Marjorie Daw. You have
2: Mrs. Harrison also. You like Mrs. Harrison? You stick Mrs. to Mrs. Harris. Harris. <laughs> Mrs. Harrison. Mrs. Harris.
1: Yes, but I think that she wasn't uh, beloved by the hero. I still stick to that, that, Mr. Well, you remember that Fleming answers and a series of letters ensues, and uh, Fleming falls in love with the non-existent Marjorie Dodd. Also a very good story. Now, fourth and last on these literary hints, a painter's valet is buried in his place in Westminster Abbey while the painter watches his own funeral from an organ loft. Good plot. Mr. Adams. Is that buried alive? Absolutely. By Arnold Bennett. Absolutely, Mr. Adams. That's quite right. Uh, in, in there, the, the uh, hero was supposed to have Little died. Little did I dream I knew
2: that. It's pretty good. Doesn't <laughs> it make you feel good, Mr.
1: Adams? Let's see. We got three out of four on uh, that one, I think.
2: Three out of four on, and an autobiography.
1: Yes. <laughs> which is excellent. <laughs> Don't seem to be able to stump them so far. See what you can do with the next. Coming from Mr. K. Martin of Boston. And what we're going to do, gentlemen, is to develop the plot of a short story musically. That is, the pianist will play uh, certain songs, and the board will reconstruct the plot from the song titles, which, when they're given in the proper order, will uh, give us the plot of a good short story, I hope. Let's have the first song. All right, Mr. Levant, that is? My present mood Two Sleepy People. Two Sleepy People. All right, now we begin with Two Sleepy People. Uh, possibly our hero and heroine. The second song. Waikiki, isn't it? Uh, yes. What's the whole title of it? Well, it obviously yeah. is on the Waikiki. Wa- on the beach. Wa- beach. On a beach. Yes. Yeah. On a beach at Waikiki. Waikiki. All right.
2: Waikiki.
1: All right. The uh, third. Waikiki. Give
3: us a little kiss.
1: <laughs> I couldn't resist. Mister Levant <laughs> couldn't resist that. You stop being those two sleepy people, Mr. Levant. Will you give I? us a little kiss, would you? Huh? Will you? Will you? William, huh. Will you? Huh? Will you? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's interrogating. That's right. Now we'll have the fourth. Uh, Mr. Kieran, did you have your hand up on that one? Sounds a little old Vienna to me. Uh, we'll give. Yeah, let's have a few more bars of that. really the climax of the story, gentlemen. What is it, waltz me around again, Willie? Not a bit, <laughs> not a bit. Not on a beach at Waikiki. Uh, missed out on that one, eh? Sorry. The answer is no, no, a thousand times no. You I'll never guessed, know that one. Uh, the fifth and last, we now have the finale of the story. Uh, Mr. Levant.
2: That's very dramatic and full of self-pity. Dinner for one, please, James. Yeah,
1: it's very good. Rather it breaks me, my heart. Well, there's our story. Two sleepy people on a beach at Waikiki. Give me a little kiss, will you, huh? No, no, a thousand times no. Dinner for one, please, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we missed out on the fourth. So that $10, courtesy of Canada Dry, goes out to Mr. Martin of Boston, plus $5 for the use of a very amusing question. I think the next one comes from Julius Elkin in New York City, and I'm particularly fond of this one. Mr. Cross, you can sort of rest on your oars, if you wish, on this, or come in, if you please. Mr. Elkin has asked us to select a group of five questions which have stumped our experts in the past. His purpose, he says, is to find out whether our experts are learning anything as a result of information. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we've made a selection of five very simple questions that they have mocked in the past. A look of shame is now stealing over their faces. The first is, who said, hold fire? Wait until you see the fights of their eyes.
2: (laughs) Uh... (laughs)
1: Haven't learned a thing.
2: That's some fellow in Massachusetts. <laughs> yes, it is. Because some... I made a wisecrack there. I remember
1: that. I bet you remember the wisecrack. Yeah, I remember the man, wisecrack. But not the answer.
2: <laughs> well, the wisecrack is now historical. The other thing is reduced.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, i sorry we can't admit the wisecrack is the answer. Mr. Uh, Kieran. i like to give a tabled answer answer. Choice of two. Warren oh, or a Israel Putnam. I beg pardon? Either sorry. Warren or Israel Putnam. Make a choice.
1: One of them is right.
3: Make a choice. Putnam. Putnam. putnam.
1: Okay,
2: Mr. Uh, Mr. Cross. Did yes, Putnam. Putnam I... is right. Quite... Did you know that all along, Mr. Cross? No. I, I thought it was Putnam. But uh, you just you, didn't see want... the, you see, my friend, here yeah, got a head up. Very quick.
0: All right, I'll call that right. What gas? What
1: gas? Both knocks one out and wakes one up. What gas? Both knocks one out and wakes one up. There's only one possible answer. We won't argue about this, Mr. Levant.
2: I can't be. right. I was going to say laughing. That's. Very no, oh,
1: I think gas is wrong. No, no it I don't even say it. I didn't say it. It's rather pretty, but it's wrong. The uh, only answer is ammonia. Ammonia. Ask that next week again. <laughs> I think you can remember it I over seven days. That. What three public offices did Franklin D. Roosevelt hold before becoming the president of the United States? What three public offices? You have to get all three of them quite correct. Uh, Mr. Cross? Must they be elective offices? Uh, they must be uh, no, one of them doesn't happen to be elected.
2: Ah, one was, is appointed. Well, he was assistant, he was assistant secretary... Of, of what? Uh, of uh, the Navy. Quite right. Uh, oh, what else? We have how many have go. you got? We have to have three. Before he was became... Before he became president of the United States. And, uh, of course, he was... Uh, what? I don't remember what comes in between that and the governorship.
1: Ah, that's the trouble. Lieutenant governor.
2: Oh. No, I, no, think I, no. I think not. I
1: think not. it's a good thing you didn't call on me.
3: Yeah, I
2: <laughs> think oh, not.
1: I like those volunteer wrong responses of you. <laughs> no, he was a senator in the New York State Legislature first in 1909. Oh, then no. the assistant secretary of the Navy in 1913. And then... Governor. Governor of New York State in 28 and 30. I would like to call the answer correct, except for the fact that it was wrong. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have he to might have become wrong, lieutenant
2: too. governor, yes. I beg pardon? No, I'm sorry.
1: I don't think your gentlemen have learned very much in the last year or so on information. Please, you're fired.
2: The whole crowd. Huh?
1: The following. Uh, try this one. Identify the following piece of symphonic music arranged for the piano. Now this was muffed by everyone, including Mr. Levant, who is usually a dead shot at this sort of thing. Let's have it. All right, Mr. Levant, you retrieve it. Did I really miss that one? I'm sorry to say you did. That's the second moment of the Brahms Fourth. That's quite right. Why didn't you know it the first time? Because it confused me with the second moment of the second, in which he stole just in the genre, not actually the notes. Ah, <clears> but <throat> you should. Why weren't you confused this evening? I'm surprised that. Well, I've been through it before. <laughs> you did very well on that one, but we did miss out on Franklin D. Roosevelt and uh, the gas. And so $10 is going out to Mr. Julius Elkin of this city, courtesy of Canada Drive, plus 5 for the use of the question. Now let's see. Up to this point, the price of ignorance is exactly $20 which Canada Dry sends gladly to the expert stumpers of the experts. Now let's lend an ear to Canada Dry's
0: own Milton Cross. Thank you, Mr. Faderman. To most of us, a 90 on the golf course is quite acceptable, but a 90 on the thermometer means misery and discomfort. To combat these mercurial 90s, we humans have devised numerous weapons. Among these are shower baths, electric fans, air conditioning, and cold drinks. And for many years, a popular cold drink has been ginger ale. A tall, frosty tumbler of ginger ale is an excellent substitute for a lake in the cool forest or a still clear spring bubbling from chilled white sand. And, of course, the greatest name in ginger ale has long been Canada Dry. The very word Canada invokes visions of snowy peaks. And the emerald green Canada Dry bottle recalls the cool color of the fragrant firs and pines. So drink ginger ale this summer when high temperatures call for liquid refreshment. And remember to specify Canada Dry Ginger Ale so that while your body temperature is being lowered, your palate will be pleasantly soothed by the delicate flavor of the finest Jamaica ginger. Canada Dry Ginger Ale may be obtained everywhere. Shakespeare.
2: <coughs> <Thanks, Mister. laughs> <laughs> I you get it, Mr. Adams.
0: Of course, those uh, words of Shakespearean
1: wisdom were delivered in precisely 59 seconds rather less long-winded than Shakespeare often is. Begging your pardon, Mr. Cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next question from M.F. Scott of Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts. Give a familiar quosa- quotation for each side of the following debatable proposition. Poverty is better than riches. And you give a quotation exemplifying the negative and one exemplifying the affirmative? Poverty is better than riches. Mr. Cross, did you have your hand up? No. Uh, Mr. Levant? Uh,
2: this is not in defense of poverty. Poverty. Mm. No, I wouldn't expect poverty that makes uh, strange bedfellows. Poverty makes strange bedfellows. Sure.
1: You're not mixing up a few quotations. Are That's you? on a level. What That's is like it? it? <laughs> poverty makes strange. It sounds good. It does sound good. <laughs> I think you just made it up. I didn't make it up. No, I don't know. What the- is the quotation poverty makes strange bedfellows? I'll bet on it. I doubt it very much. Well, Politics. if you.
2: If you lose, give me $10. Yeah, all
1: right. I'll give you 5 That's, that's
2: correct. Poverty makes strange bedfellows.
1: I uh, wonder whether that's true. Besides, which uh, would that be? That poverty is better than riches? or, or Well, no? have you ever had a strange bedfellow? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on a <the> bedfellow. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an excellent quotation, but I don't think it takes either the affirmative or the negative of the proposition poverty is better than riches. Uh, Mr. Adams.
4: When love comes in at the door, poverty goes out of the window. Now, wait a minute, boy. Oh.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> you're, you're purposely jumbling me.
1: <laughs> I made that up.
2: <laughs> yes, that was
1: out of an old hat and a couple of bobby pins. Uh, what's the actual quotation, Mr. Adams? When poverty comes into the door, love goes out. Yeah, them. that's right. Uh, and that's I don't certainly, believe a word of it. That's uh, you don't think so. Idealist. Uh, that certainly would go to prove that poverty is not as good as riches. Now, let's have something on the affirmative. Poverty is better than riches. Mr. Lebatt.
2: That's my real metier, poverty. Uh, uh, what did Abraham Lincoln say about that? Uh, God must have loved the poor he made so many. Something like that. Yes,
1: yeah, a lot of votes. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's true. Well, that was a good quotation no, for I'm Abraham
2: Lincoln. Yeah, I haven't got uh, it Mr. Cross. Correct. Lincoln said that God must love the common people. I he wouldn't have made so many of them. I'm glad to get the exact quotation. Well, I'm Mr. wrong, Cross. Oh, no, you were practically right. No, that it, it removes poor. There's no uh, poor Yes, in it. It, uh, it doesn't,
1: uh, I think, give us hum. anything which shows poverty is better than riches. Mr. Kieran.
2: Well, uh,
3: Cardinal uh, Newman was quoted as saying that you can tell what God thought of riches uh, by the kind of people he gave them to. <laughs> hey, that's
1: not a bad one, Mr. Kieran. I'll take that. How about poor Butterfly?
3: <laughs> Musical question. No, uh, Mr. Adams. It's a poor
1: rule that won't work both ways. Uh, That's settling the argument with complete (laughs) confusion, yes. Of course, a simple one would be, The love of money is the root of all evil. (laughs) All right, well, uh, I think we've got a quotation on each side of that. Took some work on um, our part. The next question from L. Oliver of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The titles of the popular songs which you are about to hear all suggest important facts in the biographies of composers of classical music. For example... Of course, that isn't classical music, but that would be Somebody Stole My Gal, and that might suggest uh, Wagner, who fell in love with von Bülow's wife, whom he later married, thus making a large number of 19th century biographies possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are, I'm going to give you four of them, pianist are going to play them, you're to name the composers and give your reason in each case. Is this question perfectly confusing to all of you? All right, let's uh, have it. Let's have a first. One. That, of course, is the sailor's hornpipe, and would suggest what composer, Mr. Levant?
2: That's uh, Rimsky-Kushkov. Why? That Russian composer was in the Navy. As a yep. matter of fact, he even visited this country while uh, in the Navy. Right. Now, let's have the second.
1: That, of course, is what, uh, Mr. Levant? Well, it's melancholy baby so yeah. far. And who whom would well, that Well, I suggest- would
2: be uh, somebody who was uh, like Tchaikovsky, crying all the time.
1: Yes, so, most of the time. Uh, Mr. Adams, do you have another suggestion? I thought it was Hamlet.
4: <laughs>
1: well, I think Hamlet played on the recorder for a, a very short time, but was not generally known as a composer. Yes, Tchaikovsky is known for the melancholy quality in his music, the well-known Russian soul. Uh, let's have the third. What is that? That song is what? Get, get Out of town. Yes, of course, Mr. Levant. And that would suggest what composer? Wait, wait a minute. To your mind.
2: You mean the heat was on?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Cross, you don't understand Mr. LeVant's language, do you? you that was clear.
2: Wagner. He uh he was
1: forced to flee. That's yes. the word they used. Yes. For political reasons. That's he, quite uh, right. wrote papers and all that. Mm-hmm. And now let's have the fourth and last. That's a tough one. What's the song, Mr.
2: LeVant? Lazy Bones. Yes? Uh, Who does that suggest to you? Well, is that personal? Uh, <laughs> no.
3: Mr. Kieran, did you have it? Oscar LeVant.
2: <laughs> no, I think I got it. Uh, a classical composer. Yeah, that's a famous story. get It's, uh, uh, it was, uh, Rossini.
1: Rossini. Uh, well, well I, don't I don't know th- if
2: that story's true. He was supposed to have been in bed, and he was composing, and the manuscript paper was by his side, and he dropped a piece of paper on the floor, and instead of picking it up, he went and started a new piece. Isn't
1: that interesting? <laughs> that's quite right. Four out of four. Thank you very much, Mr. Levant. I give you a quick and easy question from Mr. Milton G. Lehman of this city. What do the following senators have in common? Senators James K. Vardaman, George W. Norris, William J. Stone... Harry Lane, Alex J. Groner, and Robert La Follette. What do they have in common? Nothing. Uh, Mr. Cross? I'm sorry, <laughs> they did have something in common. <laughs> uh, Mr. Cross? Not yes? Not, not no, much. the answer is that they were the six senators who voted against the war resolution on April 4th, 1917. And so we announced the loss altogether of $40. Now another word for Mr. Cross and then news of next week's guests.
0: Canada Dry in recent years has become a symbol of standards for the beverage industry. And this is true not only of their ginger ale and sparkling water, but also of a wide assortment of flavor beverages. For people appreciate the care Canada Dry uses. Only the highest quality ingredients are purchased, and even then they are tested in our laboratories to ensure high standards are maintained. All water used is filtered and purified many times before it is carbonated, for Canada Dry places a premium on purity. And still important, is the method of carbonation employed by Canada Dry. Secret and, of course, exclusive. A method that has defied imitation. All this painstaking care must mean something. Because today, more people than ever before are saying, Canada Dry, please. Thank you, Milton Cross. I must get my crosses right
1: this evening. And Canada Dry thanks you, Mr. Wilbur Cross, for lending your authority to our little game this evening. Next week, we'll hearken to wit and wisdom from Mr. Adams and Mr. Kieran. And our guests will be two in number... Marcus Duffield, Day News Editor of the Herald Tribune, and that greatly beloved star of stage and screen, Miss Lillian Gish. To all you listeners, we say, please send your questions along. If you have a stumper to stump our board of experts, let's have it. There are $5 in it for you if we you use your question, and another 10 if we fail to answer it correctly. So you can win $15 in all. Send your letters with questions to Information, Please, 1 Pershing Square, New York City.
0: With summer days here, always keep a supply of Canada Dry Ginger Ale, Sparkling Water, Lime Rickey, and Tom Collins Mixer on hand. You'll find the large family size economical, costing only 15 cents plus usual bottle deposits. This is Milton Cross suggesting that tomorrow night, while you are listening to the blow-by-blow description of the World's Heavyweight Championship fight between Lewis and Galento, you will find a cool, refreshing glass of Canada Dry Ginger Ale, a sparkling companion. Good
1: night, all. It's half past
4: eight. Half past eight. It's half past eight New York time. Time to wake up America and stump the experts. Each week at this time, Lucky Strike sets up a quartet of titanic brains for you to try to whittle down to normal size. You provide the questions, and our experts try to answer them. Remember, under the new arrangement, for every question used... Lucky Strike will give you not only $10 in war stamps, but a set of the 12-volume Britannica Junior Encyclopedia. If the question is muffed, you get the Junior Britannica, plus a $50 war bond, plus a 24-volume set of the regular Encyclopedia Britannica. Send your questions to information, please, 480 Lexington Avenue, New York City. If our editorial staff edits your questions a bit, don't fret over it. In case of similarity, we'll have to be the sole judge of who shall be paid and all questions become the property of information, please. And now, light up a lucky strike as I present our Master of Ceremonies, book reviewer of the New Yorker magazine, Clifton Fadiman. Ms. Fadiman. Ladies and gentlemen, information, please, is completely spontaneous and unrehearsed, as it has always
1: been. And tonight, the spontaneity is provided by our regular trio, Franklin P. Adams, John Kieran, and Oscar Levant, together with our guest, the well-known author and radio news commentator, Quincy Howe. Now, the first question is from Amos Turk of Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Mr. Kieran, what's that old-time definition of news that we used to see?
3: When a man bites a dog?
1: When a man bites a dog, that's right. Now, here is a question about famous bites. They occur in literature. I'm going to give you the newspaper headlines that describe each bite. Uh, Identify them for me. Here's the first. Bite... Sends man on lifelong search.
2: Bite means to make a loan. You know, if, you wanna, uh, if I want to borrow $10 from you, I put the bite on you.
1: Ah, yeah. Is that the same thing? No, a different thing. That's fiction, too, however. <laughs> uh, how, no, this is a very famous novel, which might be summarized by saying, Bite sends man on lifelong search. Pasteur? No, it's a, no- a novel. Pasteur is a man.
2: Not according to Warner Wait. Brothers.
1: I think you've all read the novel. It's uh, Moby Dick. Uh, How do you
5: figure figure that out, Mr. Howe? I figure that out from what happened to Ahab's leg when it got bitten off by the white whale. That's
1: right, and it sent him out in search of the whale, and that's what the story's about. Well, that's one wrong. Now we have to get the next two right. Bite results in eviction. Mr. Kieran.
3: That is uh, Adam and Eve being thrown out of the Garden of Paradise for biting the apple.
1: Yes, that's right.
3: Don't blame both of them. Wasn't it just Eve that did the biting? No, according to uh, uh, Milton, at least. No, no. John Milton. Oh, John Milton, Yeah.
4: Man's first disobedience.
3: Yeah, I guess that's right. And the fruit. There are.
1: How about uh, this bite? Bite, chaos, heroin. Bite, chaos, heroin. Any idea? Chaos. Chaos. Chaos is used as a verb. Does that Mm. make it any clearer?
2: You mean a man bit a woman and she was knocked out?
1: It's an idea. Is that a kiss or Uh, a bite? No. No, the the, uh, heroine did the biting herself, as a matter of fact. Well, it's Snow White, who bit the poisoned apple that the witch provided Mm. her with and was knocked out until the end of the picture. And that sends a $50 war bond to Mr. Turk and a set of the Britannica, courtesy of Lucky Strike, and sends us on to a question from Anne Brown of The City. Mr. Howe, do you ever listen to your colleagues on the air, other news commentators? Really? Really? Well, you can stay out of this question, then, if you wish. <laughs> it says here, with what popular commentator on the air today do you associate each of these style of statements? I'm going to give you the, the... I don't know if these statements are exact quotations from these commentators, but they give you their style on the air, and you ought to be able to tell us uh, who says them. First, one needs to know the relative strength of the forces engaged before venturing an opinion on the outcome to date. Mr. Howell? Swing. <laughs> yes. Raymond Graham Swing. Very good commentator and very cautious, as uh, perhaps in these days it's necessary to be. What were you going to say, Mr. Levant? Raymond Graham Swing. Very good. Sounds better, that one.
5: <laughs>
1: Now, here's another. Spring came to London today, uh-huh. a bright, sweet English spring, and in the spring, British youth soared over the channel again. Mr. Levant. Edwin, this is London Murrow. Yes, uh, not Edwin, however, but... Edward, Edwin. this is London Murrow. <laughs> yes, Edward R. Murrow. Uh, the style is... Uh, the other man, the NBC man, also talks about spring. It, uh, St. John's.
2: he's a spring man. too.
1: Uh, does, he use this <laughs> <laughs> does he use that kind of phrasing? He uses, bird sometimes he uses the record, birds sometimes with a record, too. Kind of poetic when they get over to London, Mr. Howe.
5: Yes, you ought to be in London. That's the one.
1: <laughs> All right, here's another, and this is the last one. All that the OPA officials seem to see in it is, quote, propaganda, unquote. At least that's the story out of Washington tonight. Who talks that way? Uh, Mr. Howell gives it to Mr. Levant? It's either Vockage or Bockage or Godwin, one of those. Pick one out of two. Well, there's only one of Vockage and Bockage. Well, now, you, you pick, uh, Well, it's Bockage or Lon- uh, London. Uh, what's the other man's name, I You said Godwin, didn't you? Godwin. Yeah, now, which one do you like? It all depends what night they're on. Ah, no. They they both say the same thing? Godwin. That's right. If you said Bacchus, you would have been wrong, but you would have been guessing in either case. Godwin is correct. (laughs) All right, that gives us three out of three. Thank you, Mr. Levant and Mr. Howe. And how about this one from Nathan Rosenblum of Los Angeles? Now, this one's about games that are played by literary people, people in uh, books or plays. What game? What game did Cleopatra ask Carmion to play with her? Sir Billiards. Billiards. uh, Billiards. Did they play billiards in Egypt in those days?
3: Well, uh, I really don't know how far back it goes, but at least Shakespeare had heard. Shakespeare. Shakespeare.
1: They must have played billiards in Shakespeare's day. They had a good season with elephants, probably. (laughs) Probably. How about the game that Brutus Jones played? Brutus Jones played what game? Is that in the O'Neill play? You tell me. The play that Paul Robson was in? You tell me. What's the name? Emperor Jones? That's right. I told you you'd tell yeah. me. Uh, yeah. Now, what, uh, what game did he play? The game with the silver bullet. Ah, uh, well, that was the fatal game that he played, but he played a game that other people played, too. Cards? No. Well, why do you keep asking me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got played the first dice. part of it. I beg pardon, Mr. Adams. Might have uh, rolled the bones. He did. He rolled the bones. Dice is right. Dice. Cards is wrong. I have to count that wrong. How about the game that dangerous Dan McGrew was playing? Uh-huh. Dangerous Dan McGrew was playing what game in the poem? Mr. Kieran. I think
3: he was playing poker, wasn't
1: he? No. Back of the bar in a what? It wasn't gin rummy. No, it wasn't gin rummy, Mr. Howe. Tarot? No. Back of the okay. bar in a solo game.
3: Oh, oh solitaire. Soli-
1: solitaire. Set Dangerous Dan McGrew, and that gives us two wrong and sends a $50 war bomb from Mr. Rosenblum and a set of the Britannica, courtesy of Lucky Strike. How about this one from Samuel Goldman of Elmhurst, Long Island? What invasions made in these years, I'll give you the years, created the basis for World War II, or helped to. The first year is 1931. What invasion, Mr. Howe?
2: Japan
5: into Manchuria.
1: Yes, uh, called Manchuria at that time, now called what? Manchukuo, Manchukuo, by by the Japanese. By the Japanese. 1931. Now we step forward a few years and we get to 1935. What invasion helped to lay the basis for the present large conflict? Italy and Ethiopia. Italy and Ethiopia, yes. Uh, the actual the first incident, I think, occurred toward the end of thirty-four. Would that be right, Mr. Howe? December?
5: I don't think so. It, I think it started in uh, October of nineteen thirty-five. The Italians claimed, of course, that they had been uh, aggressed against, but uh, I don't think it was as long ago as thirty-four.
1: That may that may quite possibly be right, but the main invasion certainly took place during the year thirty-five. And how about the year nineteen thirty-eight? What invasion uh, took place? Uh, Austria. And the Vienna. invasion of Austria. From what Austria other? To Vienna. Uh, Mr. Adams. Oh, you were just telling Mr. Howe. I Howell. wanted
4: him to raise his
1: hand.
5: Yes, raise your hand, Mr. Howe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spain, there was the uh, German and Italian troops in Spain, only they were there as long ago as 36. Yes, that's right. That, that was, oh, yes, uh, 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 Italy and Albania, I think. They went in there at Easter. No, that was 39. 39. It was on Good Friday, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yes,
1: the Austria and the invasion of Austria uh, and the Sudetenland uh, was in 38, and the Sudetenland. Now, how about this one? Mr. John Tayer of Chicago. This is a semi musical question. Now, certain family members are going to be mentioned specifically in each of the songs we're going to have played. Of what members does this family, when it's complete, consist? How many members and who are? They don't mean the names of each individual person, but uh, the position he occupies in the family. They're going to be three songs. They're going to be played one after the other. Is the question clear to everybody? Mr. Adams, clear? All right, here we go. Give us the number of people in that family. And the I don't know number
2: one. I, I know the last two parts.
1: Oh, we have to get the whole thing.
2: One fellow uh,
3: has to get the whole?
1: Well, Lord. I guess you can work together All right, well, work the together. the first on one
3: this. is, I want a gal like the gal that married dear old dad. Well, what member of the family? That would be then? a mother.
1: Oh, wait a minute. Now, what, what mother? Dad is no
3: mother. <laughs> I want a gal. Want a girl that, like the girl that married dear old dad. I know, but what member of the family That's is an adolescent. Well, there's two mentioned. No, only one. Only one fella. he wants a girl. Do you think the lady in the case is imaginary?
1: Yes. Uh, the only actual member of the family that's mentioned by name Let's quibble Even is when dead. you get more <laughs> Is dad de- de- Dad or papa No, it's uh, the boy Mr. Adams, do you think I'm quibbling with Mr. Kieran? No, I do not You think Mr. Kieran is quibbling with me? I do <laughs> You're a quibbler there, Kieran uh, <laughs> Even when you get the girl, it's imaginary anyway <laughs> Now, uh, that gives us dad Now, Mr. Adams And the next one is three sisters Three little sisters Or a dozen roses uh, very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I take a dozen roses. Uh, how about? <laughs> that gives us a dad and three little sisters. And then a darling daughter. Yeah. Now, take ho- that one. All right. Now, what's the member? How does the family stack up? We have what? It's heterogeneous, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. wait a minute. What, what have we got? How many How many uh, members in the family? You got uh, five. You have? Sure. You got the man that Mr. Karen quibbled about. Yes. You got three sisters. That's three. four. Yeah. And you got darling daughter. And he... how about? Uh... Well, that's only five. I oh, don't know. You got another one in the last one. Yes, My Darling Daughter? Yeah, but you haven't given me the whole title of the poem, of the song.
3: Mama, Yes, My Darling Yes,
1: Mama. Well, how about Mama?
3: Well,
1: thought, all, it, Mama can,
4: and a daughter is two. That's Why, six.
1: Sure, that gives you six.
4: See, not a I nice family.
1: A, I think I had to throw that in your lap.
4: I don't like the
2: family anyway.
1: Uh, <laughs> we got a dad, we got three little sisters. We got a mother and a daughter, a six in all. That means you have a dad and a mother and... Four daughters, really. Bring yourself out, Mr. Sort of Eddie Cantor minus one. All right, I think the $50 goes to Mrs. John Taylor on that one. I had to throw that to you. And a set of the Britannica. And now, with Mr. Cross on vacation, Mr. Rysdale points out that some things just
4: naturally belong together, like Mr. Kieran and W. Shakespeare, or Mr. Adams and Gilbert and Sullivan. By the same token, ladies and gentlemen, there's a real affinity between Lucky Strike and Fine Tobacco. If you yourself could visit tobacco auctions down south, you'd see what happens when finer, lighter, milder tobaccos, Lucky Strike tobaccos, come up for sale. The bidding is spirited, of course. The buyers all want this finer leaf, but Lucky Strike consistently pays the price to get the kind of tobacco we believe means a better cigarette for you. Yes, smokers, I can sum up the results of many, many years of competition at markets all over the south with this simple five-word statement of fact. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. Now, you know, if you just stop to think of it, that in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. You know that better tobacco means a better cigarette. So, Mr. Fatterman, isn't the next step clear? Have I shown what may be gained by trying luckies?
1: Mr. Rysdale, you've put the facts squarely on the line, and in just 56 seconds. And now a question from Stanley Rippins of New York City. Gentlemen, let's assume that an American soldier in our expeditionary force finds himself serving among people whose native language is one of the following. In which of the countries involved in the war would he be? Now, the uh, first language would be Maori, M-A-O-R-I, Mr. Howe.
4: New Zealand. New Zealand is
1: correct. Mr. Adams, you were about to say New New Zealand. New Zealand. Very good. Tagalog. Tagalog, Mr. Adams. Philippines. Philippines is right, yes. Uh, any particular island, do you think?
4: Uh, I, I think Luzon.
1: Luzon would be absolutely right, Mr. Adams. They may speak Tagalog and one of the other thousands of islands that make up the Philippines. And finally, Portuguese. Mr. Adams. Brazil. Brazil, yes. Only Brazil. The only one. Uh, Portugal is not yet involved in the war. Only
4: Brazil and South America.
1: Only Brazil and South America. Now, how about this one from Mrs. Henry Alexander of New York City? Name a character or characters of literature who lived in the following places. The first characters lived in a boat on a beach.
3: Lived in a boat on a beach. Uh, Mr. Kieran. Robinson Crusoe and his man Friday. Oh, do they live in a boat or in a well, tree? He, well, he built himself a cabin out of the remains of, uh, of the wrecked boat.
1: Uh, I, uh, uh, who's quibbling now?
3: I don't know. It seems
1: to me that the well, it, well, you wouldn't call it a boat. He certainly did build himself a hut. That's true. But I don't. I think... I could. Buck... Uh, maybe I'm too strict on to no. you this evening, Mr. Kieran. How about Christian in the in the Tahiti? Not Tahiti. You know the Pitcairn Isle thing.
5: That's true again, though. Uh,
1: that, that's true. That's not a character of literature.
5: The Swiss Family Robinson? Did they
1: no, live in a no, house, no, in a boat? No, li- no. The uh, the only ones I can think of are the the Peggotty family. Remember in oh, David Copperfield. Remember that now, Mr. Howell, Mr. Kieran? Yes, we did. The Piggity family and David Copperfield really lived in a boat. Now, how about the characters who lived in a boxcar? Lived in a boxcar. This was toward the uh, end of the story, that they lived in a boxcar. Well, car. I know a lot of pictures
2: where hobos, like *Solomon's Travels, uh, what's his name? John McRae and that cute little girl. What's her name? That Veronica girl? Lake. Veronica oh, Lake.
1: Oh, Mr. Howe, you do know. <laughs> huh? I uh, don't know. Well, it's right. It All right. Know. Uh, any other? And this was a picture, too, as a matter of fact. Both a novel and a picture.
2: They lived on a... lived train? in a boxcar
1: toward the end of the... Uh, Blues picture. in the Night. Don't know that the one The whole either.
2: band lived there. Is, Is that, that okay, Mr. Howe? <laughs> uh, might be.
1: Might be. I, I was thinking of the Joads uh, toward the end of the Grapes of Wrath. They lived more on the trunk. Uh Yes, in most of the story they did, but toward the end, they lived in a boxcar on a siding. It wasn't a boxcar that was moving, it was a stationary one. That's I'll accept a... your answer, Mr. You i will accept sure two of right. my answers. All right, I'll accept both of them. Now, name a character who lived inside a fish and set up housekeeping there. Oh, well, Jonah. No, he didn't set up housekeeping Pinocchio. Which one? Pinocchio. No, it wasn't Pinocchio. It was a character from Pinocchio.
5: Well, he had a lease on the
1: belly of the fish. I know uh, that. <laughs> uh, what's his name? What's his name? Starts with a. With a what? What letter would Comes you Comes after F. Got it? F. I have no idea what's after that. I D F
3: G H I J. I don't know. Yeah, I knew I'd stick him. F M N O.
1: No, um, uh, Mr. Kieran. The,
3: the goldfish or something? Uh, no,
1: no. Uh, starts with a J. No, no. F a, B, C, D, F, F. Uh, you don't find G, J. G G uh, G. Oh, that's good, Mr. Minute. Levant. That's good.
2: Jetta, Jetta, something.
1: Uh, Gepetto. Gepetto, yeah. Gepetto. I think I ought to call that right, folks? Yeah. No. No. Oh, I think I think that's about right. Yes. How about this one from? Monroe B David of New York it's a sports question what sports did the following excel before reaching major League baseball team before they were baseball players they did something else Lou Boudreau played at what Lou Boudreau uh, mr. Levant
2: I saw him play basketball for the University of Illinois
1: yes he's excellent a- captain of of Illinois very mm-hmm. good uh, mr. Howe, were you going to, were you going to say I that played in the garden here Madison Square Garden yeah and uh, I think he still is assistant coach during the winter I doubles don't know. doubles in basketball mm-hmm. how about Joe Cronin played what before he uh, Mr. Kieran?
3: He was a uh, boy playground tennis champion of San Francisco. That's perfect, yes.
1: And now he plays what? He's uh, the
3: manager of the Boston Red Sox. Yes. Plays shortstop? No. No? no. At times, he pinch hits. Pinch, pinch
1: hits. Pinch uh, Shortstop. Well, how about, how about Pee Wee Reese? Pee Wee Reese. What does he do? What does he do? He shortstop for Brooklyn. He shortstop for Brooklyn. What did he do before that?
2: He's awful young. He couldn't have done much. He's about 10 years old now. That's
1: right. That's right. What could he have done? You're on the right track, Mr. LeBron.
2: Well, he got dressed and went
1: to the ballpark. It's uh, not a sport. Well, that's wh- a career in
2: Brooklyn.
1: Uh, he played I mean, He played baseball. No, no, no. Now, that's not the point of the question, Mr. Not Adam. softball, no. no. Well, I had, uh, it's Marbles, of course. He's very young. He could only have been a Marbles champion. He
3: was
1: Marbles champion in Louisville. Well, we got two out of three on that. How about this one from Marie Searle's Patton of Jackson, Mississippi? Whose voice is referred to in these lines that sound somewhat alike? A big manly voice. That's an actual quote. Big manly voice. Quote from what? Well, if I told it to you, you'd get it, Mr. Adams. Is that from a Wagnerian
5: soprano? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's from the... Uh, Jack's famous soliloquy in As You Like It when he's talking about the seven ages of man. Remember that now, Mr. Kieran? Has that come back That's to you? Right. And his big manly voice turning again toward childish oh, treble. Yes. Remember that? The last? Uh, all right, one wrong. Now, how about a monstrous little voice? A monstrous little voice. Whose voice is referred to in that phrase?
2: A guest on our show. Uh, <laughs> some. <laughs> uh, so,
1: Mr. Kieran?
3: Would that be from Midsummer Night's Dream? It is, indeed. And who? Uh, bottom. Uh, bottom. A weaver who would roar you as gently as any sucking dove.
1: That's the fellow. He wants to play Thisby, and he says, I'll speak in a monstrous little voice. That's right. Now, how about a still, small voice, Mr. Adams?
3: That would be conscience.
1: Well, yes, it is used about conscience. That's quite the still, small voice. Mine has a loudspeaker. You mean what it's from? (laughs) What it's (laughs) from, you mean? Yes. It isn't, it's used I don't connection. know, it ain't me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Mr. Kieran?
3: No,
1: I, I think it's I'm, Mr. From a music critic of uh, any soprano. No, uh, it might be, but mm. this is from the Bible, and it refers to oh. the voice of the Lord. Mm. And after the fire, a still, small voice, it's from Kings 1. But I think that uh, the word, uh, it is used of conscience, Mr. Adams, so I think that's uh, perfectly okay. Now, how about Felix Corman's question of New York City? This is a geographical question. I, we'll probably argue about this one. Name the three routes that the Russians are protecting against German penetration to the Baku oil fields. There are three main routes. Now we can uh, get uh, a couple of these. Uh, one of you can get one, one together. Mr. Howe?
5: One of the routes that the Germans are, uh, that the Russians are protecting is yes. the Volga basin route, the Volga River route uh, running from Astrakhan and then down to uh, Baku by sea. Along what Caspian that sea be? that That yes. would be along the Caspian along Sea. Along the
1: Caspian Sea coast would be one of them. That leaves us two there,
5: others. There'd there be protecting. another route running along the, uh, the northern foothills of the Caucasus Mountains from the uh, from the uh, Caspian over to the Black Sea port of Batum. Across the Caucasus Across, Mountains? That well, one. along the cauc- uh, Caucasus. I don't think it crosses them. I think it goes in the northern foothills of the Caucasus all on the northern side of the uh, Almost all on the northern side of the of the uh, mountains. Yes, and what other would there be then? There would then be uh, there would then be one uh, up along the Black Sea from oh, uh, uh, Black from sea. Batum to Novorossisk yes. and to Rostov. That's
1: right. Either across the uh, uh, foothills of the Caucasus along the Black Sea or the Caspian Sea coast. I there didn't get the question.
2: You mind repeating
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> did, did you get the answer? <laughs> That's enough for you. That's a tough one. Uh, (laughs) It is a tough one, Mm. and Mr. Howe got 100% on it. And now, before we go on to the next
4: question, Mr. Rysdale wants you to see for yourself why tobacco experts make the best cigarette experts. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you'll take any cigarette you have handy and just split the paper down the middle, you'll quickly see that all you have in your cigarette is tobacco. So when you buy cigarettes, you're really buying tobacco. And it's surely worth your while to profit by the experience of experts who spend their lives buying, selling, and handling the leaf. At markets all over the South, independent buyers, auctioneers, and warehousemen see just who buys what tobacco. Yes, year after year, they see the makers of Lucky's buy the finer, the lighter, the naturally milder Lucky Strike leaf. No wonder that with these independent experts, with men who know tobacco best, it's Lucky's two to one. Smokers, why not choose a cigarette that bears the tobacco expert's stamp of approval? Remember, these experts know that lucky strike means fine tobacco. And in a cigarette, as you can see for yourself, it's the tobacco that counts.
1: Thank you, Mr. Rysdale. That took just 60 seconds. And now a question from Ronald Gebal of Berkeley, California. You know, composers not only borrow themes from each other. That's true, isn't it, Mr. LeVant? As well as money. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> when they're lucky. But often they uh, borrow themes from themselves.
3: They're now good. the studio
1: pianist, the studio pianist will play a theme used by a composer in one of his compositions, and you're to name another composition by the same man in which he uses a similar theme. Just name the composition. We're going to have the two different ones, and here is the first. <laughs> Mr. Levant. Brahms uses that theme in the B-flat concerto, opus 81, uh, the third movement, the slow movement for cello. The, uh, the theme
2: is expressed by cello. It's a piano concerto. Yes,
1: and in this particular, what is what was being played? It's a song.
2: Emmer, uh, sleeping, slumber, emmer, emmer, emmer. I'm not good at German.
1: Well, the, those words are not bad. That emmer, emmer. If you repeat them often enough, slumber. you can't go wrong. Emmer lies a schlummer. My slumber is softer and softer, something like that. yes they say in Paris. Uh, more or less. <laughs> uh, that gives us a hundred percent, Mr. Levant, on that one. Do you want to hear how the second piano concerto goes, Mr. Levant? Have Mr. Wilde play it. For well, you? I
2: know it. It's up to you. If you want to hear, Mr. It.
1: I'd love to hear it, Mr. Uh-huh. Wilde. As our auditors can tell, that's very similar to the Liza Vietmann Schlummer song that was played just a second ago. And now the second of these tests, Mr. Wilde. Mr. Levant? Schubert. Schubert is right. Now what uh, what's being played and in what other compositions Well, the is one you...
2: I uh, the one that it must be is an impromptu by Schubert. This is not the impromptu. There's a couple notes out. You wait.
1: Yeah, ba yeah. dee
2: this is the song. The, uh, the other one's the impromptu.
1: That's very good. Yes, right. the other one's the impromptu. That's uh, my... uh, the name of the song is Immer's Slumber again. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> now you're getting retrogressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, your answer is, pri- is quite right. It's the, mm-hmm. uh, the impromptu or... B flat. Or the... There's another one in which he uses it. The well, uh, quartet A minor. Well, I don't
2: know that.
1: But the one that was being played was the what? What the, was being played?
2: That's the song. "Emmer's uh, slumber no. the bubble <laughs> I don't That's know. That's
1: Brahms. This is the ballet music from Rosamunda. Is that right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surprising you is a feat in itself, Mr. Levant. Mr. Wilde, will you play that Schubert Quartet music? Schubert Quartet? He had a suit on his hand. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> he must have had it. And Mr. Levant's answer, which was the piano impromptu A-flat, is equally correct. Mine's in B-flat. I'm sorry. I have A-flat here. Well, we'll argue. I'll split the difference. We'll make it A-minus. All right. That gives us two out of two, Mr. Levant. Thank you very much. And how about this one from Joseph Glazer of New York? What relationship do the following have to important Axis or United Nations
5: supply lines? The Chetniks in Yugoslavia. Mr. Howe. The Chetniks are uh, able to attack the Danube River route uh, they're the Yugoslav uh, independent operators, the uh, Yugoslav Patriots, and they've okay. been raiding at the Danube supply line, which is one of the chief Axis routes of supply. To where? Uh, up to up through Vienna, up through Central Europe, from down in the, uh, in the oil and grain regions of uh, Romania and Hungary. Perfectly correct, and thence to the Near East. Yes. Now, how about the British in Malta? What... Uh... Rommel's supply line uh, in Africa, not to be confused with Bedgeley Rommel. Not in the least to be confused. Uh, How about the, yes,
1: that from the Mediterranean to North Africa? To North Africa. And now the Americans and the Solomons are are doing what in the way of uh, interfering with, uh, Mr. Kieran?
3: Cutting the uh, Japanese uh, line of attack (coughs) on not only Australia, but uh, New Zealand.
1: Yes. And on the other hand, they're doing. The, what are they doing for our own
3: supply lines? They're making a, an a, an outline base by which we can uh, recover more of the Jap- of the possessions that have been taken. Yes, over and protect our
1: supply lines to the to Australia and New Zealand. Well, that gives us three uh, perfect uh, answers on that one. And I'm afraid that's all we'll have time for. Thank you, Mr. Howe, for being with us this evening. Now, in a few seconds, I'll announce next week's guests. Tonight, Lucky Strike has paid out three sets of the Encyclopaedia Britannica. And three, $50 war bonds. And speaking of bonds, let's all try to remember that this is not merely a battle between two groups to see which will win. It's a struggle for our homes, our children, and our lives. That's what an investment in United States war bonds means. Save Americans and save America. Now, next week, the Kieran and Adams combination will be on tap, and you'll be glad to know that our guests will be two in number, Jan Struther, the author of the beloved book, Mrs. Miniver, on which the great moving picture is based, and C.S. Forrester, who is familiar to all readers as the author of Payment Deferred, Captain Horatio Hornblower, and many other distinguished books. Remember, listeners, send your letters with questions and the correct answers to Information, Please, at 480 Lexington Avenue, New York City.
3: Really like your backyard, man. Appreciate it. There's nothing to the east so I can do this all day. No, 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 Patrick. East is that way. What? Oh man, that's not good.
5: Ivy Isles Online, it's easy to order online and pick up everything you or your neighbors might need.
3: You seem to have a lot of groceries this week, Mr. Mahomes. More than usual. Yeah, it's a long story. I'm sorry about those uh, steaks. It won't happen again. Okay. Hey, <laughs> uh, I'm
5: uh, sorry about your hot dogs. All right. Hey, Patrick, how about you make it up to me on Sunday?
2: Yes, sir. Gotcha.
5: Hy-Vee Isles Online, convenient pickup,
4: and we deliver too. Got a little things to do in this world, got a lot of things to do in this world, got a little things to do in this world, got a lot of things to do in this world. I love myself now. Got a little things to do in this world. I love myself. When you're chugging through life, sometimes you just wanna stop. So stop. Even if it's not a good time, there's never a good time. Let's do it anyway. Stop all the chugging in your world and start sipping with the people in it. Lifton,
5: stop chugging, start sipping. Touch after touch, bacteria in your home never stops. That's why MicroBand 24 doesn't just sanitize and stop. It keeps killing bacteria for 24 hours. Spray on hard surfaces to kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria initially, including the COVID-19 virus. Once dry, MicroBand forms a shield that keeps killing bacteria for 24 hours, touch after touch. Don't just sanitize. Keep killing bacteria for 24 hours with MicroBand 24.